It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Well, hello and welcome to today's show where we will continue to talk about issues impacting agriculture and rural communities. On today's show, our guest is a leader in the grain industry and the first female president of the Montana Grain Growers Association, Michelle Erickson-Jones. Before we get to Michelle, I just would like to remind everyone about the upcoming Montana Stock Growers Association mid-year meeting coming up June 14th and 15th in Dillon. It's going to be a big event. If you'd like to find out more details and to get registered, just visit mtbeef. Dot org. But as I mentioned, our guest today is Farmer Michelle Erickson-Jones, the president of the Montana Grain Growers Association. Michelle, how are things going this morning? Hey, thanks for having me on here, Lane. We're pretty good this morning. It actually it rained some last night, so we're kind of delayed for finishing up Plan 18, but it's a pretty good morning. Now, where you're at, you are north of Billings in the Broadview area. What's the spring planning been like for yourself? I know uh, you're maybe a little ahead of other producers out there. How, how much have you got planted and what, what do you have left? Well, we actually finished our spring wheat and our hay, barley, oats, peas, forage mix, which was nice to get in because we were about a month late getting them in from when we normally were. But the fact that we were able to get them in was, was more than some of our neighbors have been able to do. They've, they've been struggling with wet fields around here. And right now we're in a kind of a gap between when we want to put in our sunflowers and a little bit of sorghum sudan. Hopefully we're going to try and get them in later this week before the next storm comes in, though. Going off of that, the price of wheat, it, it has not been great over the past few years. And as you mentioned, you're planting different crops. Uh, let's jump into why you chose some of these different crops. Uh, what's the benefit to your operation, maybe to uh, uh, eliminating different inputs, and why it's uh, beneficial for yourself to go with these alternative crops on top of your wheat production? We really kind of like the alternative crops. We really started expanding into them oh, almost 10 years ago when we started with corn. And since then, we've added sunflower, safflower, alfalfa, malt barley, our forage mix, as well as we've been doing some Willow Creek and some triticale. And while they certainly make the uh, season a lot longer, we start in, on a normal year, we start at the beginning of April, and then we're not out of the field until the middle of November. But it does a lot for soil health, and it also just diversifies your risk. Uh, last year, we actually had a pretty good year because we had a huge amount of alfalfa, a uh, huge amount of forage, and that allowed us to have quite a bit more cash flow compared to when we would have been stuck in a more traditional winter wheat fallow rotation and you know just kind of stuck with the low price of winter wheat. Michelle, you and your husband also run cattle. That helps diversify things a little bit more on your farm and ranch. But this winter was also very tough. It's been a wet spring, but a lot of ranchers out there fed a lot of hay and had a pretty tough go in 2018. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. There were some definitely some rough calving seasons for a lot of people. We got we got pretty lucky and we came out pretty much unscathed from the tough winter conditions, but. Uh, further north of here, up in the Lewistown area and other places across the state, it was most certainly a very tough winter. You know, a lot of people that were snowed in that didn't get out for weeks, that couldn't get to their cattle, that couldn't get to their hay where it was. And even us, we, we certainly could get to all of our feed, but we really struggled to get feed that we had sold. 
what to its destination because we either couldn't get it out of our fields or we couldn't get into their their ranches. Now, as a young producer, for our listeners out there, what motivated you to go into the family business, into farming and to ranching? I'm sure there was a lot of different maybe career paths you could have taken, but what really drove you back to the farm there in central Montana, south central Montana? Well, I've wanted to farm since I was about six years old, and I never wasn't really sure if I would get the chance to do so. I actually ended up working in the corporate world. I worked for UPS, and then I worked for Amazon.com. But the opportunity came up. Uh, my dad had an opportunity to expand, and it pushed him beyond the acres that he could do by himself. And so he offered me the chance to come back, and I certainly jumped on it. And going off of that, Michelle, you had the opportunity to also step up into leadership and become a leader in the wheat industry, being the first female president of the Montana Grain Growers Association. You are truly paving a path for future leaders in the industry itself. And with that, you've been a voice for the industry here in the United States on the national level and the international level, and there's quite a lot up in the air in terms of trade right now that will impact U.S. agriculture, specifically wheat producers. Let's talk a little bit more about NAFTA. The Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, has given a deadline of this Thursday, May 17th, for the U.S. Trade Representative to hand him a renegotiated NAFTA. Let's talk about the importance of NAFTA to wheat producers here in the United States and the importance of keeping that trade intact for the nation's producers. Yeah, it's certainly a key deal for U.S. wheat producers. 50% of our wheat is exported across the country, and the number one um, export destination for U.S. wheat is Mexico. So it's certainly an agreement that we would like to see finalized, but we would also like to see protected. Mexico is Montana's top barley market, and so that's also that's also a market that we certainly want to protect and finalize the deal. And um, I am a little bit nervous on having a deadline set like that, uh, just because. We want to make sure that it is a good deal, that it's wrapped up, that it's the deal that we want it to be. But we're also, in the same token, we're also excited to have it wrapped up and done because there's been too much uncertainty in the market. And Mexico and some of our customers from that market have started to look for alternative sources, uh, including wheat from Argentina and barley from the EU. When President Trump first came to office, uh, there was a lot of wins for agriculture, whether that was changes in the EPA and the waters of the U.S., uh, opening trade access for beef to China. But the wheat industry and the grain sector was very positive since the president-elect at the time had said that he would pull the United States out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact, and he in fact did do that. And that uh, was a big opportunity, especially for the wheat industry. How has that hampered trade uh, opportunities for the wheat sector? And uh, there was that little glimmer of hope that the U.S. could possibly still rejoin TPP, but what's the wheat industry's uh, view of that? What has the progress been made to try and create more trade opportunities there in the Pacific Rim? Well, unfortunately, there has not been a lot of movement to create more trade opportunities. The wheat industry was really disappointed that we pulled out of TPP. Obviously, we knew it was coming when the president was elected, but it was still disappointing to have it occur. It puts us at a significant disadvantage to our competitors in Canada and Australia 
And it also jeopardizes our number one market out of Montana. Japan over is the most valuable market for the U.S. There's more value in the wheat that is shipped to Japan compared to Mexico, but they're second in terms of volume. And unfortunately, while the president has indicated that he wants to pursue bilaterals, which we support as an industry, Japan is not a willing partner for a bilateral agreement. Uh, Japan has told us that we rejoin TBP or we do not have a trade deal with them. And that has been really, that will be really unfortunate for the United States once TBP is fully ratified and Japan, or in Japan, can source similar quality wheat out of Canada for $65 a metric ton less than they can get it out of the U.S. Let's jump back maybe to Canada. Now, there's always the talk about how U.S. grains, once they cross the U.S.-Canadian border and head north, they are downgraded to feed quality grain. U.S. grain is downgraded to feed quality grain. Could you talk a little more on that and how that impacts producers up in Montana? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's definitely a it's a complex issue, but it boils down to exactly what you said, is that our grain is graded feed grade. We get a feed grade price regardless of the quality that we brought up there. So for a lot of our producers along the High Line, it is actually cheaper for them to cross their grain into Canada in a number of years. The, obviously, the value of the dollar compared to the Canadian dollar impacts the economic feasibility of transferring grain into Canada. But when you are right up against the Canadian border, when the Canadian elevators are closer than a U.S. elevator is, when the dollar and the Canadian dollar are comparable, it is far more economical for them to take it into Canada. Except for Canada has launched what we call a uh, technical barrier to trade. It's a non-tariff barrier, and that is that our grade, our wheat is feed grade, which makes it not economically feasible to take it up there because instead of selling wheat that should be worth about $5, it is suddenly worth about $2.25. We have been working with the Canadian government and um, the stakeholders in the Canadian wheat industry to have that fixed. We have been so far unsuccessful Ottawa has had several um, different bills in front of their parliament, but they have yet to be passed. We are hopeful in this renegotiation of NAFTA that they will fix that non-tariff barrier and allow for the free flow of wheat across the borders. Because a Canadian farmer can bring wheat into the U.S. and get the grade that it is and the price that they expect to get anytime they want. In fact, there's a lot, there's quite a bit of Canadian wheat that comes into the U.S., but we can't do the same in that is certainly a barrier to trade that needs to be remedied. Yeah, I mean, that's just plain unfair trade right right off the bat there. So hopefully that does get resolved and that that NAFTA negotiation process wraps up sooner than later. Now, looking at my notes, a question I really wanted to ask you is, what is a bright spot for the wheat industry today? It's been a few years of very depressed wheat prices. There's been drought across much of wheat growing areas. What's the bright spot for the industry? Um, I think our bright spot is still our ability to produce high quality wheat. We produce a quality of wheat that makes it far more valuable than your average bushel of hard red winter wheat. We are high protein, particularly that dark northern spring wheat is is really um, a niche market that allows our wheat crop uh, year in and year out to be more valuable than say at least by dollar per bushel from the other top wheat producing states in the country. Um, we produce the quality that's in demand by the Japanese and by other countries that are turning our products into noodles and those other products that require high quality wheat. 
On the Montana Grain Growers Association end of things, Michelle, what are some of the events maybe happenings that will be going on here over the summer and into the fall uh, before the annual convention is held uh, this this fall? Well, we have quite a few events that go on uh, during the summer. We make it to most of the um, field tours for the research stations as they happen during the summer. We also have our annual golf tournament. We'll have our summer meeting um, on May 31st, and I'm actually going to Washington, D.C. tomorrow with Farmers for Free Trade, which is a nonprofit organization that was co-founded by Senator Max Baucus, and I'm going to testify on a panel hearing at USTR on the Section 301, the China tariffs, and I will also be attending a couple of events, including a, an event with Senator Pat Roberts with that organization, and we'll have the ability to also represent Montana farmers while I'm there. And so that will be pretty exciting, especially as the NAFTA deadline comes um, comes up to actually be in D.C. and you know, kind of see it unfold on the ground. What impact will these Chinese tariffs have on U.S. agricultural products, specifically wheat, if they are unable to resolve the issues? That impact would be significant on producers such as soybean, sorghum. But for us in Montana, wheat is on the list. China really does not import all that much wheat. We actually have a um, case in front of the WTO for, for they're violating their agreement to the WTO to meet their tariff rate quota um, for wheat imports. At the same time, it has a huge, there's domino effects on any of the commodity markets. When there's uncertainty in the one market, that typically stretches to the rest of the markets. But we're also risk having increase in costs for things such as machinery, uh, grain bins. In fact, our farm's already seen a cost, increase in the cost in grain bins earlier this year with the Section 232 steel tariffs. And so there's, there's certainly impacts on all sides, whether it be inputs or the commodity prices. There is a risk. Agriculture is always risk being one of the first harmed in a trade war. And even, even though right now there's um, the Section 301 tariffs, they are not enacted. They are just essentially threats. We are already seeing an increase in non-tariff barriers from the Chinese, increased inspections, uh, time sat in port, they're certainly slowing down the uh, free flow of goods into their country, which is presenting a problem for agriculture. Not so much some of the goods that come out of Montana, but some of the perishable goods, the fruits and vegetables and such that come out of the Pacific Northwest and Canada or California have had some significant impacts. Well, Michelle, I know it's going to be very exciting out in Washington, D.C. this week with you testifying on behalf of the wheat industry and the importance of trade and also having that NAFTA deadline in place for this Thursday. There's going to be a lot of news, and I look forward to touching base with you again on, on all the happenings. And, and thank you for your service and being the president to the Montana Grain Growers. And, and my last question here, what, what's it like to know that you are setting an example being the first female president to the Montana Grain Growers? It's a predominantly male industry, especially here in the West. What's it mean that you can inspire uh, young ladies across uh, the nation that uh, want to step up and be a leader in agriculture? Uh, it means a lot, and it's something that I'm certainly proud of. And I just hope that um, people will see that my involvement or someone else's involvement, whether it be um, Nicole 
Berg, who is the current secretary of the National Association of Wheat Growers. She's out of Washington. Or Marcy Green, Washington, also has a female president of their organization. Or Jamie Kress from Idaho. I think that there's been quite a bit of a rise of female influence uh, policy maker or policy advocates in the weed industry and I just hope to see it continue and I hope to see it spill over into other organizations and that women can find themselves a role in policy advocacy and they can be excited about it as much as I am. Michelle Erickson-Jones, you are setting a great example, no doubt, for, for the entire wheat industry, but specifically for those young ladies and, and females that are really the backbone of all farms and ranches. So thank you so much, because I know it takes a lot to, to leave your family and your two little boys at home to go to Washington, D.C., but you are truly a, a, a trendsetter, and I, and I truly admire you for that. So thank you so much for sharing a little bit on the state of the wheat industry in Montana, the West, and the nation along with the world. Anything else you'd like to share with us here today? No, just thanks for having me. You are very welcome again. Michelle Erickson-Jones, the president of the Montana Grain Growers Association. For more on the Montana Grain Growers Association, just visit them online at mgga.org. That will do it for today's show. I'm Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.